right, let's do it again here. Another Behind the Yellow Line, the Chicago Cubs podcast. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. I'm told, Jeremy, this is episode 122 for us. A little tip of the cap there to Randall J. Sanders. Uh, Good spirits as we record here. The Cubs' good play of baseball continues. We are recording this after they took the series against the Detroit Tigers. Two games out of three there in Detroit. So since the All-Star break, the Cubs have won nine series. They've lost two. They've tied one. Good stretch of baseball here for the Cubs continues. Yeah, I mean, if you keep winning two out of every three games, you're going to be in a pretty good situation come by the end of the year. I think they'll end up with exactly 90 wins if they win two out of every three from the rest of the way on. So, yeah, you know, you know, everybody was a little, you know, hand-wringing a bit against some of these bottom fears, the Royals, the Tigers, but keep winning two out of three. Keep doing that. You'll be in good shape. Yeah, the series wins are good. You'd like to see some of these maybe be sweeps, especially because it doesn't look like you're going to get any help anywhere else in the league. But winning two out of three repeatedly will will get the job done. It may only just get the job done, but it will get the job done. There have been some uh, impatient Cubs fans, I think, that are sitting here going, well, why didn't they sweep the Tigers, right? Or, uh, uh, you know, why did they split the two-game set against the White Sox last week? you got to win both games against a bad team like that. I-, I think you guys have the right idea or the right mindset here being, yeah, in the moment it may be frustrating, but just win, just win these series. Right now the Cubs are in a playoff spot. They're the second wild card team. The division's still very much in reach, although the Brewers are playing good baseball of late. So just, you're right, Jeremy, win two out of three, you do that, everything's going to take care of itself and there's going to be October baseball. Right. You know, I, as I mentioned, there was some hand wringing, like we're in the stretch of bottom feeders. Right. So you just want to kind of go through and you just assume you're just going to wreck all these teams. But at the end of the day, you got to remember, like these are all major league baseball players on the other side of the field. I I thought, you know, from the White Sox to me, out of the three teams they just played, I thought the White Sox are the worst. But that's like a rivalry game. The, it was electric. The energy at Wrigley Field. It was crazy. If there was one game that those guys wanted to win on the other side of the field, it was that game. So I, I do understand the split there. And then and Kansas City's got some good players. Detroit's got some players. I mean, for some reason, it seems to me that every, like, young kind of stud that hadn't quite broken out yet is all of a sudden in this super hot street right as the Cubs are playing them. You had Bobby Witt on the Royals who was going off. You have Spencer Torkelson who's hitting balls hard all over the field uh, in Detroit. And it's like, there's some good players on these teams. And you win two out of three games, you win a series in Major League Baseball, that's good vibes to me. I will never, ever poo-poo a series win in Major League Baseball. And the Cubs keep doing it. As you said, 9-2-1 and one since the break. That's what you want to do. You want to win series. Yeah, Spencer Torkelson, if you combined him with Bobby Witt Jr., you'd probably have a guy who could at least catch the ball over at first base. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned how if there's one game the White Sox wanted to win, it's one of the ones at Wrigley. They only won one of the ones at Wrigley. And so the White Sox fans for whom the Crosstown Cup presented by Wintrust was their Super Bowl, they don't even get that. The White Sox do not retain the Crosstown Cup. Of course, if they had just won one more game, they would have held on to it because it always stays with the incumbent. They don't even get to keep that for another year. Tragic. I'm not convinced, and I know this is a whole other discussion for another thing, but I, I, I think that Christopher Moreau home run, I feel like that might have cost Kenny and Rick their jobs. Because Jerry, no, Jerry wants nothing more 
than to uh, beat the Cubs. That's like his number to be there. And Christopher Morrell hit that amazing walk-off home run. And yeah, we all can make fun of the the Cubs, or excuse me, the White Sox fans, because you're saying it's their Super Bowl and they care so much. But there was no Cubs fan that did not enjoy that Christopher Morrell home run to the limit, just all over the White Sox, mocking the White Sox, winning it. You got to say every Cubs fan enjoyed that. And so that was such a crazy moment, such an awesome moment. And we all loved it. I would agree here. Yeah. I, Randall might have been a little more relieved than Ronan and I, who were exuberant. But what a moment that was for Christopher it- Morrell. What an awesome moment. And I think when we look back on this team in a month and a half or two months, and hopefully it's it's closer to two months than a month and a half at this point, let's get a nice deep run here into October. There's going to be a handful of plays from this year that will be etched in our memories forever. I think the Talkman play in St. Louis going up over the fence, robbing the ball to win the ball game, that I thought was the play of the year. I think Christopher Morrell took it from him. Just given the you couldn't get swept in that series, you didn't want that sort of hanging over your heads. A jam-packed Wrigley, and that place was full in the ninth inning. That was not a game where people are leaving in the eighth inning or towards the end of the seventh inning. That place was packed. That is that's the moment of the year, and what an awesome just an awesome memory that we're going to have from this forever. And what an awesome moment there for Christopher Morrell. Yeah, I will say about that Talkman Homer just to compare the two. That moment, it, there was probably no singular moment, but that moment might have been the moment where it was kind of all in from here on out. We're not selling. So I do give that one sure. a little bit more because like that allowed the Chris Morrell homer to happen, but that Chris Morrell homer was so special. Two two dates that stood out to me in the, the aftermath of Morrell's home run. It's the Cubs' first walk-off home run in nearly two years. They last did it in September of 2021. It was, I believe, Jason Hayward. It was their first come-from-behind walk-off home run since the famed David Bodie Grand Slam in 2018. So it's been a little while since you had gotten that special kind of exuberance that comes with a walk-off home run, and even longer than a little while since you got that even better kind of exuberance that comes with a come-from-behind walk-off home run. I think that's instantly in the pantheon of walk-offs. It goes with Aramis in 2007. It goes with Chris Bryant in 2015. It goes with Baez in 2016 on Mother's Day. Hayward's Grand Slam in 2018. There's there's a short list of walk-off home runs that stick with you, and Morell's is instantly on that list. Yeah, and of course, Alfonso Soriano's walk-off home run that we were all at, uh, a, a pretty good one. But, you know, just just to mention that, I just want to say, like, there hasn't been a lot of walk-offs this year for the Cubs. It hasn't really been something that the Cubs have, have done a lot. But I will say, I don't, I feel like it was kind of emblematic of this team in a sense of, like, these these guys haven't really quit. They don't quit. And, you know, there's that saying, Ricky's boys don't quit. Well, <laughs> I feel like Rossi's boys right now don't quit. And that's some credit I'll give to David Ross. Um, Because they could have quit when they were down in the standings. They were last place in the National League. They could have quit then. They've had multiple games this week. They've blown leads. They've had chances to kind of fold. They've come back, and they've taken it, like, right away, pretty much, back a couple times in Detroit. You know, and that game, they were – I mean, Clevenger, they're a fastball-hitting team. Clevenger's throwing fastballs right by them. They couldn't get it done. And uh, Nick Madrigal homer in the eighth. And then, you know, Cody Bellinger and Swanson are up there. Hit a dull, by the way. For everything that happened in that moment, and we love all of it, Chris Morrell running, uh, tearing his shirt off, just like everything that happened – I think my favorite moment is just watching Dansby Swanson, who's right behind Cody Bellinger, almost passes him on on the set second base. Yeah. Just the two of them, with Bellinger with the fist pump and Dansby Swanson having both hands in the air. That like image, it was just so stuck to me. I loved it, but just showing that, that this team doesn't quit. They they don't, and they're fighting hard, and they want to make the playoffs. And I've I've been pretty impressed by that. 
go find all those Ricky's boys don't quit shirts gathering dust and cross out the Ricky and just put in Rossi easy merchandise. Yeah, we give Marquee a lot of shit and rightly so. But the drone images they had from those games and particularly the one capturing the overhead view of the game winning home run, that's top shelf stuff. That's a great camera angle. That's a, a great vantage point you don't typically get. And like Jeremy pointed out, you see the base runners doing what they're doing before the home run lands. That's a damn good camera shot. And that's a damn good addition to the broadcast. So something Marquis yeah. has actually done right and deserves praise for. 100%. And that's a view that video game fans are accustomed to. Like you, you play old triple play 98 from EA Sports had shots like that, and you're thinking, well, unless they have a helicopter, there's no way you're going to be able to incorporate this in a broadcast. We got blimps and things like that, right, as kids watching big sporting events. The ability to add HD drone footage to broadcast is awesome, and credit to Marky. I think that the two big camera improvements this year, uh, the drone shot, which they've not been overusing, and I'm worried that once you get something nice, they're going to beat that into the ground, and then the, the cameras that they've added into the ads behind the plate at Wrigley, which gives you a low angle from the backstop, which was a staple of WGN back in the day. So those were nice. I also like how Marquis sort of pivoted away from some of the more gimmicky shots, like the camera in the dirt at second base when Javi was around. Like in theory, I could see in a meeting how you're thinking, oh, this could be cool. It never looked good. It was probably a pain in the ass for the grounds crew. I'm glad that they've moved away from that. So you're going to have some misses, right, with Marquis. The drone shot, huge win, though. And I thought it added to, uh, especially for Cubs-White Sox, all of the shots of the skyline or the lake or the neighborhood there, that was a really nice touch there for a local broadcast. I agree. And and one thing I, I do like to say positive about Marquis is I, I do like their they have been kind of innovative in certain ways of using kind of new technology and footage and and trying to market it. And, and, you know, that drone shot – I like the way they've used it kind of off. I'm, I I do agree with you that they, I don't, I'm afraid of them overusing it. But the one thing is, I don't think you really could have it like over the field while the game is going on. They always they kind of have it off the field, you know, a little bit like so that probably could keep it limited. And I do enjoy, you know, Boog reading the copy or whatever, saying that like you have to have express permission from the Cubs to fly a drone over. Like, don't go back and just fly a drone like we have permission to do this. So uh, I, I it's pretty fun there. But yeah, that is those all the shots of of that walk off as i said go back and, and watch how quick dansby was on cody like there's some serious yeah. worry that dansby's gonna pass him and get called for an out he was right behind him yeah marquis settling into that espn niche million dollar technology and access 10 cent broadcasts well i think uh it was one of boog's better calls I, I don't think it was the best call that he's done uh but his call the morel home run was good uh pat nailed it the Spanish language broadcaster, Miguel, nailed it. So, and I don't know what he's saying, right? It's just the delivery, the way that he said it. Uh, very, very cool. So I'd give two and a half out of three, I would say there in the Cubs broadcast, getting that big home run called right. Yeah, I, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I'm absolutely fluent in Cubs win. I'm a native speaker of Cubs win, and I understand how to speak Cubs win. And of course, the walk-off got the Hall of Famer Pat Hughes to intone, he has taken off his shirt. Any broadcast that can do that, well, that deserves that deserves uh, preservation. And how about the Len Casper call? <laughs> yes, that's rare actually to, a good call. Rare yeah. to hear the, the somberness as Cubs win with Len Casper's voice on it. There, there was something to it, and um, I was just thinking that, you know, that guy has been at Wrigley during some of the craziest walk-off home runs, playoff wins. I mean, he's been there for everything. 
I, you just wonder if there was a part of him there going, oh, man, look at this place as he you know, gets ready to go back down to the south side, empty ballparks the rest of the year. Uh, I do think the White Sox, and I want to get your thoughts on this before we break, a lot of White Sox fans are celebrating like they did win a World Series with the firing of Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, but it's just such a lifeless organization right now. And to hear the deflation in his voice, I was satisfied by that. Really, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Len Casper, after that game, he walks into the 670 booth. Hey, that's a great broadcast we had tonight. We'll be back here tomorrow, right? Same way Mike Moustakis changed teams after that huge blowout between the Angels and the Rockies. Like, hey, this is a great broadcast we have. I'll be back here tomorrow, right? Right? And, of course, uh, uh, Len leaving because he wanted to call playoff games is a big reason why. Which uh, How's that working out for you, Len? Yeah, that's not working out very well on this outside. Although you do say they were celebrating like that. They were yesterday. But for all the news that came out today, they might even be more depressed than they were two days ago, all the White Sox fans. So they had a good 12 hours, though. Yeah, it's been a wild stretch for them and uh, for Steve Stone as well. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he's yeah, on the men there uh, out of the broadcast booth. So you get that big walk-off win. Morrell has his moment. You get the off day Thursday. Then the Royals come in, one of the worst teams in baseball. I think, and, and this is me as just a fan adding a little importance, Aaron Water Show weekend. That, to me, you circle that on the calendar. Always awesome as a kid, as a Cubs fan, when the Cubs were home during the Aaron Water Show. And there are certain times during the year, I'm here in Denver, you guys are back in the Chicago area, there are certain times over the year where I'm especially homesick. Opening day is one of those days, right? I'm sitting here at work going, damn, I wish I was at Wrigley Field right now. That Friday afternoon... Aaron Water Show rehearsal, day game. That, to me, is perfect. Unfortunately, Cubs lay a bit of an egg there, losing to the Royals. But they were able to right the ship, so to speak, the rest of the weekend. Uh, but still just amazing visuals, watching those jets fly over the park, blue skies, and the Cubs playing competitive baseball in late August. Boy, you know what? Every I was at that Friday game. I had the fortune slash misfortune. Everything was perfect. It was just a postcard weather day. You had Aaron Water Show, and there's it's a lot of fun being in the upper deck, hearing the roar of the planes, and it a flyover with the the big cargo plane, and then of course you got the jets out over the lake. Everything was perfect, except for the fact that the game sucked. Like everything, picture perfect, except for that blue L flag flying over the scoreboard at the end of the game. That's isn't that the story of being a Cubs fan? Sometimes everything is perfect, and then they lost. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was, you know, and they had a chance to win that game. They had, they, they, did. Had, they had, you know, many chances uh, and many chances to win that game. But, you know, you go back to that game. That was the one game in that series that I was kind of iffy on. I was like, uh, Cole Riggins, that, he's a pretty good pitcher. Like he, he's he been money since coming over from Texas in the Aroldis Chapman trade. And he has been very good uh, starter for the Royals. Uh, but yeah, as you said, they righted the ship. They faced two mediocre pitchers uh on saturday and sunday they got to the royals bullpen on sunday uh they had some it was some iffiness some close games on sunday a little bit but they they did what they needed to do to win they shut the door they took the two out of the three from the royals uh all day games they they and look in late august it's hot but i agree with you those are some picture perfect days and what uh, i think it was a fantastic series to once again go out there and, and take two out of three from a team that i think is improving i think the royals are getting better i know they're only won 40 games but they have some talent on that offense and my, my takeaway from that game and this might be unpopular i think it might be time for patrick wisdom to <laughs> find pastures elsewhere uh, you know i'm I, I think that would be a big clubhouse loss because i suspect a lot of people in that clubhouse would miss him but and i know he leads the team in home runs which is kind of damning 
but I, I just don't know what purpose he serves on this roster anymore, other than hoping he can get out there and hit a tank and you know a, a, a blowout one way or the other. You can't really trust him defensively anymore. There's you got what two, three guys ahead of him at third base if Mastroboni's on the roster. You can't play him at first base. It didn't work out last Friday. He allowed me with two errors in a game where the Cubs allowed two unearned runs and lost by a run. I'm just not sure what he does on this roster anymore. And I think with there being very valuable depth in the minor leagues, and we'll get to this, I think it might be time to use that roster spot on someone more useful. And I'd feel really bad about it, but produce or be gone. That's right. It's produce or be gone because there's no more wiggle room, right? And look at how many teams right now are in the race for the wild card, the National League. Like you cannot get your foot off the gas or one of those teams just behind you there is going to creep up on you. And it's just a constant thing. You're not looking at just the Cubs score every night. It's okay. What's going on in San Francisco? What's going on in Miami? What's going on in Cincinnati? You've got all these different things. Um, I, you know, and I don't want to jump the gun and say, all right, let's get into talking about the playoff roster, but there is no way in hell Patrick Wisdom makes the playoff roster. So you've got to be asking here, how does he contribute to this team and how valuable is that 40 man spot that you've got a couple other guys right now that can play third base You've got a guy who's a black hole, despite the fact that there is that threat of power, and it seems to be getting to be time to move on. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because it's it's just funny because I you know you go back and you look at Patrick Wisdom's numbers and like I just pulled up his numbers since he came off the IL since he came back. Would you have any guess of what his OPS is? Anything? No, it's nine twenty six. Jeez, since July fourth, nine twenty six. So you look at that, you're like. What, 926 how is that possible because you feel like you're watching him strike out like crazy or all the time but you know every once in a while i guess he runs into one so i i think that's just what they've been trying to do it's like every time there's a lefty up it's like put patrick wisdom in he'll get his two at bats and there's like a 50 percent he'll strike out chance to strike out but maybe he hits a home run i don't know i agree with you guys i do think at some point it's getting to it's not quite that place for him it's just weird it's just like it's just it's just weird when you look at the numbers and you're like, when, how has he been that good? Honestly, uh, in, in uh, batting, but yeah, I agree with you guys. I think at some point, I, I don't think you could just keep putting him in there and like hoping that he's just going to run into one. It's, I, I don't know. think that's a strategy. You've seen him get benched in situations. I, up against a lefty like late in the game he got benched and it's like if you're not even going to let him pit in a, in a crucial situation like that why is he here so i agree with you i do think at some point they'll have their those talks i mean well i think obviously september 1st is going to be a big day for whatever happens um for a number of reasons but yeah it's it's just weird i just think it's funny that it's like he's a 900 ops over <laughs> since july 4th yeah, Ron, every time you say playoff roster, I hear the Jim Fossil playoffs. No, playoffs? Jim Mora. Like I, it's, it, yeah, Jim Mora. Okay, it was a gym. I was I was half right. Yeah, I'm not saying let's win a damn game because they're winning a damn game or at least a few damn games, but I just can't not hear the playoffs. Like, I hope to get there first, and then I would love, love to worry about the playoff roster. Jim Fossil did have a moment, though. I do remember in 2000 when the Giants were on uh, uh, losing streak, he guaranteed that this team is going to make the playoffs and they ended up going to the Super Bowl. So he did have that kind of viral moment. I guarantee we're going to make the playoffs, but the playoffs that's Jim Mora. All right. I'll, I'll take half credit for it. There's a gym with a playoff moment. I'll accept 50% credit. Well, I want to address what I think is the elephant in the room. Then when it comes to how you improve the roster offensively, uh, Jeremy, when is Pete Crow Armstrong at Wrigley field? 
So here's the thing. I think I think it's going to be September 1st. I think it's going to be – I think they're just going to wait around. They get that two extra roster spots. I think they're going to use one on a position player, and I think that position player is going to be P. Crow Armstrong. I, I don't see it happening before that necessarily. I, I don't necessarily think there's an urgency for it to happen, although, like, I think – I think Pete Crow Armstrong, he's going to be that guy that's going to be the defensive, the speed replacement, maybe get some at-bats here and there. I don't necessarily see how he quite fits in offensively with this team because he's left-handed. There's all these handedness issues, the same issues we were seeing with Tachman and Mervis, you know, not being up here. Uh, and uh, so I, I just – I do think he's going to come up, and I do think he's going to add another dimension to this team, and hopefully maybe he's just hits and, like, they can't get him out of the lineup. But it's just hard for me to see where he's going to get so much – lineup time when he's left-handed and you know i I just don't see where it's going to come from now for me it's easy at least it's easy on paper in a vacuum is pete crow armstrong becomes your everyday center fielder bat him ninth do whatever you need to do just go out there play defense do whatever you can offensively bellinger moves to first base on a daily basis and then talkman starts every day in either left or right spelling one of hap or suzuki now Suzuki's hot again, and I don't. They, they haven't. They haven't moved Hap out of the number three spot, so I certainly don't think they are going to start benching him. But I think if everything were equal and everything were in a vacuum, I think that would be a great way to get PCA into the lineup. Jeremy, I know you said September first when they get the extra active roster spot, and that certainly makes sense. If it's me, I bring him up sooner. Mm-hmm. I have I have him meet the team. Heck, in Pittsburgh, if not in Pittsburgh, have him meet the team back at Wrigley for the Brewers series. I'm just not sure what's on the roster right now is quite going to get them where they need to go. I think you need to do what other teams have done in calling up a top prospect, throw some gasoline on these embers, and hope the fire ignites in the correct direction. He has that little spark of Javi to him. He's nothing like Javi, but he has that little tiny spark of Javi where every time he's on the base paths, there's a chance he's going to do something out of nowhere that's going to help the team win. We've seen him steal second and then take third on a bad throw because they rushed to get the throw off. We've seen him take an extra base on a, a shallow ground ball or a shallow fly ball. I think he has that dimension you need that might be the deciding run in a close game. And I just think they need to add that to the roster sooner versus later. You have an open 40-man spot because Tucker Barnhart is gone, thank goodness. And I just feel like you could demote Master Boney right now, give his active roster spot to PCA, and I feel like the team would, even if it's on the margins, be better off for it. It doesn't seem like they have an inclination to do that. I think Jeremy's right. I think they'll wait until they have the extra active roster spot come uh, a week and two days from now. But if it were me, I'd bring him up sooner. It's not me. I don't make that call. But if it were me, I would bring him up sooner. Here, here's just the thing for me. And uh, and I like I, if if the Cubs weren't in a playoff race, I, I don't know if PCA would be getting a call uh, up at this time. I, I think he's really the primarily reason why he would be getting calls because he has the speed. He has the, uh, he, he's shown some things in AAA. He has the defense. He, he does give you some value there. Um, but I, I just, I just hard for me one to put like that much trust in a playoff spot in a kid who's barely been in AAA and, and having him face in a major league, you know, start facing major league pitching uh, just to make him like the everyday center fielder. Uh, I think that's, that's a kind of a tough sell for me to just automatically throw him, throw him in more in this playoff spot. He's the guy to do it. I, I, cause I, I, my, my expectation is he's probably going to struggle early on as a, as an offense player. Plus you have, you know, he's basically it's him or talk. I don't see them sitting Suzuki as much or, or, or Pap. And it's like, it's kind of for him versus Talkman to get some playing time. And I think 
they're just more confident in Talkman because he's done it all year, like for Talkman to lose kind of that role. So I, I think that PCA will come up eventually, and I think he will be used. And maybe he comes up and hits and he takes over a spot, you know, like Gio Soto did in September 1st in 2007, right? Um, but I, I, I just don't think it's going to be like immediately like PCA is going to be out there every day playing center field. I, I just don't see that. No, I agree with you. On paper, that's what I would do. But the game isn't played on paper. It's played on grass and dirt. And I don't think that's what they will do. But if it were me, I would pull that lever and hope for the best. That's why I'm not a a major league GM or a VP of baseball operations, because pulling that lever and hoping for the best is not a good strategy, as we've seen time and time again. But again, if all things were equal, that is what I would do. But I I agree with you. I don't think they're inclined to take any playing time away from Suzuki right now, now that he seems to have found a little bit of a groove again. We know they're not inclined to take any playing time or even the number three spot away from Ian Happ. I agree with you completely. I don't think it's what they will do, but it is what I would do. Well, and I think from a technical standpoint, in order to be playoff eligible, he needs to be on the 40-man roster by 11.59 p.m., August 31st. So we're talking next 10 days or so, one way or the other, um, but I kind of like the idea of him and a certain minor league pitcher getting the call up in Pittsburgh yeah. this weekend. Uh, we'll talk about him pitch today, right? Yeah. Certain pitcher who didn't pitch today. And we'll talk about him in a minute, but I do want to stay with the big league Cubs first and talk about the starting rotation. Uh, I was going to start on a positive note, mm-hmm. but I think I'm going to start on a sour note here. I, I have a sense Randall's ready to That's bubble slow. over here. Uh, Randall drew smiley <laughs> cannot make another start for the Chicago Cubs, nope. right? Nope. Nope. It's, it's illegal that a, a man named smiley should make us all so sad. But he has, and he's going to continue doing that if they continue starting him. As of right now, he's penciled in to start the third game in the Pittsburgh series. I don't know that that will hold. Uh, You can't keep running him back out there in the starting rotation. I don't know what the expectation was yesterday. I know that they were knocked a little bit for a loop with uh, Stroman's continuing injury, which we'll get to in a moment. I, I just don't know what the expectation was. I don't know what the front office was expecting in running him back out there. I don't know what David Ross was expecting in running him back out there in that fourth inning when he could have taken three innings and a one-run lead and turned it over to Wesneski, who was great in long relief. I just don't know what the expectations were. I don't know why it was. I don't know why what was done was done. He's shown some decent work out of the bullpen in in between starts. If you want to keep him in that role, that's fine. When the Cubs, like most organizations, are not inclined to get rid of veterans, especially when that veteran still is another year on their contract, even though the Cubs have done that twice already this year. So keep him in the bullpen if you want. That's fine. He can be a lefty. He can be stretched out, give you a couple innings in a game that's over one way or the other. You cannot, cannot have him make another start this season. Ronan, I know you said you hope maybe he has a Sean Estes moment. At some point oh. <laughs> this year, or and that's a that's a good comparison. But as we just talked about, hoping for a Sean Estes moment is not a strategy, and I hope it's not one the Cubs are considering. And, and yeah. to be clear, I and to be clear, because I have to defend my honor here, I did not say I was hoping for that. I asked if he would sort of have the opportunity. Well, I, would, I would hope for it. <laughs> you know, I want that. him to be good, right? I want to get. Well, that I, I don't, but I hope he doesn't start again. So well, I hope true. the opportunity doesn't exist for him to do that. I think he can potentially contribute to the bullpen on the left side in the right situations. Uh, but Jeremy, I'm of the belief uh, Drew Smiley cannot make another start for the Cubs in 2023. Yeah, well, here here's where I might get split some fine hairs a little bit because 
I could see them in another situation where we've already seen this season twice. And I know it was against the Cardinals, but maybe they do use him as like an opener in Pittsburgh or something uh, where, you know, they piggyback him with somebody else. I could, I could possibly see that, but I, I, I tend to agree with both of you guys. I don't want him out there throwing five innings anymore. I, you know, I, I promoted Drew Smiley a little bit during this off season when we were talking about uh, our predictions for the season, we had the fan graph stuff. And I said, he was going to go over on a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, he did get off to a hot start, but it kind of slowed down a little bit over the last couple of months. Uh, that said, he's looked pretty decent coming out of the bullpen, you know? And so maybe there's something there. We've talked about the fact that he has both bonuses and escalators in his contract for next year. And at the end of this year for based on how many innings he pitches. And I, not that I'm going to say the Cubs are obviously not trying to keep those innings down because they threw him on, they threw him again on uh, the other day, but you know, maybe that does come into play a little bit, but I also agree with Randall. Like, I don't know what, David Ross was doing, throwing him back out there in the fourth inning. Like once you got that lead, I would have been like, Hey man, true. You know what? You went out there. You, you, you get, they scored three runs off you, but we got this lead now. Hey, let's, let's let somebody else in and take care of this game. Right. And he put him back out there and it went off and it was not good. And I, it's just, it's just, it was disappointing to me. And I, you know, they threw Hayden Wesneski the day before and he threw like four pitches and got out of an inning. And it's like, why are you wasting his arm when you might need him in this situation to piggyback off the smiley? And he did come in, but he came in kind of dirty because he threw the day before. And so you have a kid like that, Wesneski, who you can use him in longer uh, spots, possibly even start. Who knows? Maybe you do the the opener thing with Hayden Wesneski coming off the back, like do that in Pittsburgh. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I don't want Drew Smiley making five inning starts anymore. Or if he does start, I want him to go deep, <laughs> like eight innings. Like we saw him sure. against the Dodgers. Randall, is that uh, speaking of Sean Estes though, is that your lasting memory of Sean Estes? Will you reflect back on his career? Yes. Like a, like a reborn <laughs> Phoenix. He emerged at just the right time to keep that 20, 20- 2003 team afloat and then was never seen or heard from again so let, let's let that be the enduring memory of the veteran lefty sean estes instead of everything else some other bad news in the starting rotation marcus stroman who also struggled in the stretch here but he's been hurt he's been out with the hip injury well the injury's gotten a whole lot worse now a fractured rib cartilage this is a really tough injury and an especially tough injury for a pitcher. There's no quick fix to something like this. When you get this type of an injury, they say maybe six weeks or so. There's a lot of uncertainty that we're going to see Marcus Stroman at any point this year for the Cubs. Yeah, what a what a tough injury. What a what a weird injury. He he's working on coming off the IL with the hip injury. He feels some discomfort in his rib while making what would have been his final bullpen doing his full final bullpen session while on the IL. He was scheduled to start the next day and it turns out he feels discomfort and he managed to fracture his rib cartilage. He, he doesn't seem to really know how he did it. The team doesn't seem to know or what wants to say how he did it, but what a weird injury, what a injury at an inopportune time because all of a sudden the rotation has become a question mark. You've got guys who are not going deep into games. I mean, your most consistent starters right now are, the Justin Steele and what Javier Assad and you know you you worry the peripherals are going to catch up to him at some point and then you've got what two pitchers that you can rely on for a full turn through the rotation in Steele and Hendricks yeah it's a tough injury at a tough time we're all wondering why they didn't go out and get another starting pitcher at the deadline a lot of hindsight a lot of 2020 but it's a tough injury at a tough time and yeah I don't I don't think we'll see him again this season and here's the funny thing is how long ago was it that we were excoriating the front office for not extending him now people are upset that he's going to opt in 
to the contract <laughs> that he signed and come back next year at 21 million, which maybe that's not the worst thing ever. Maybe that takes the uncertainty out of it. You've got a pitcher with a decent track record who's probably going to opt in and be under guaranteed contract for a reasonable one-year deal. So it's funny. It's very funny how things turn in the span of six to eight weeks. Yeah, I, I think anybody who would be mad about that is kind of foolish. I think if you can get Marcus Stroman back, I think the Cubs would be happy if he comes back and opts in and you have him on $21 million deal. I mean, I'd still think you go out and get another starter. I'm not saying Absolutely. that Stroman would be. But, like, yeah, it fills a hole that you would have in your rotation. It's like, hey, Stroman could still be there. And $21 million is not bad for a guy like uh, Stroman. But, yeah, such a weird injury, as you said. Uh, I believe Jed Hoyer said, like, it's something I've never seen before. So I don't even know what to think of this or what the timeline is. And Stroman seemed like it, he's kind of in pain with it. He said he had trouble breathing like while he was sitting because it, it hurts so much. And so, yeah, six weeks from now, if you're thinking about it, that's like the end of September, kind of the start of October. So maybe he could come back if you're in a playoff you know, playoff series, but I don't know if that's like Rodon did again for the White Sox. And then he kind of, uh, I know that was an arm injury, but kind of didn't really perform. But uh, yeah, right now it's not looking like Marcus Stroman is going to be back for this playoff run. And by that point, you don't have a minor league season to send him down and rehab either. I didn't even know you could fracture cartilage. I knew you could tear cartilage. I knew you could fracture a, I knew you could fracture a bone. I didn't know you could fracture cartilage. So uh, you learn all sorts of things about sports medicine just by following sports. Mm-hmm. You, you read some weird things too. You do. Like to your point, yeah, the injury you didn't know exist. What has sort of caught me off guard with all of this is just reading what it is like for someone who's experienced this injury, especially as a pitcher. And you think about a pitcher, the, the core strength that you need to be a pitcher, all the violent motions you're doing when you're throwing the ball, any rib injury is brutal. Right. Anybody who's broken a rib will tell you that's about the worst thing you can do to yourself um, in terms of pain. Seems like it's a really tough spot here for Marcus Stroman. And I'm at least sort of of the mindset, no expectation this guy's going to be able to contribute. Even if they have a playoff run, I don't know that he's going to be in a spot that he's going to be able to help out the team. Um, So it's a good thing that Tyone's been pitching better. I don't want to say he's been great. He had a bit of a meltdown there in Toronto about 10 days ago, too. But he's certainly been better and you know the, the season stats don't look all that great he's still negative war type of a guy but i've got more confidence in him now than i had i don't know two months ago he's at least keeping you in the ball game right now which is more than he was doing earlier in the season and it's more than a guy like smiley is doing so yeah he, he at least has that going he's not gonna completely well toronto notwithstanding he's not going to completely blow up in five or six innings you hope so yeah give him that you know there were starts earlier in the season where he was not doing that he was getting knocked around and you'd had to take him out in the third or fourth so he he's gotten better he had a great july of course it hasn't quite extended into the entirety of august but it's better he's keeping you in the game that's fine you don't feel awful yet about running him out there every fifth day yeah, I, I do think there's a still uh, you you still kind of have that feeling of uh, apprehension a little bit when he goes out there because yes. you, you saw the blow up kind of in Toronto, despite the fact that it's such a great July. It's like, OK, then he like can still blow up. But I, I've been pretty feeling pretty good about him lately. I, I, I thought even at the end, like when he was kind of just like that Cleveland game and whatever. It's like, I was like, yeah, but his, his, his peripherals from these games still kind of look decent. It's like, I feel like at some point it's going to, uh, going to crack. And it did in New York. And he actually pitched well, both times he went to New York uh, for the Mets and the Yankees. And I, I think he's pitched pretty solidly. Like I, I still don't have that supreme confidence in him every time he's going to go out there. Cause we saw Toronto, but even today, like he had a no hitter through five innings today. Uh, the first two hits today were weak contact, like balls at, 
or weak balls that just kind of got through the infield. And you're like, what, what the hell that he looked pretty good. Like after he, he got through, uh, I think the second time through, he got through green, uh, Torkelson and Carpenter. I was like, damn, he, he looks pretty solid. Um, and then of course it all kind of like, I, I think I don't, that's I, yeah, he threw a bad pitch on three, one that got crushed, but I don't think he should have been in the game to begin with in that situation. So it's kind of hard for me to blame him uh, necessarily. Yeah. He put the runners on, but like, I think he should have been, I don't think he should have been in that game. Um, But yeah, it's, it's still, I thought for the most part, he pitched pretty well today and he, he, it didn't really kind of, the line doesn't look great because he gave up four runs in six innings, but like, I, I thought he was basically uh, he's had quality starts in almost every start except for Toronto since the beginning of July. And that's pretty much all you can ask for. I feel like from a guy like him right now. And so I do think he's been kind of a stabilizing force and, and I'm hopefully he continues this as we keep kind of going on. It's definitely needed. Uh, you know, especially because I think the other thing you got to think about with the Cubs starting rotation, Justin Steele, who has been dominant, right? He's starting to rack up the innings. Right. And there's a number of guys that are, are pushing it in terms of innings. So there's that uncertainty as well that's going to impact the team. Um, part of it is you look down to the farm, you go, OK, who in Iowa can contribute to this team moving forward? And there's a lefty, Jordan Wicks, who's probably at the top of the list there. He'll be 24 on September 1st. So if he gets called up here as part of the roster expansion, we may see him sooner, but Pretty good 24th birthday, right? To get called up to the major leagues, get a chance to play big league ball. A big guy, Jeremy, this is a big strikeout guy. I don't think anybody, including the Cubs front office, have illusions that this guy is going to be a top of the rotation, ace type pitcher. But there's a lot of hype and expectations for this guy. First round pick back in 2021, and he's pitched well between double A and triple A. Do you expect Jordan Wicks to be in the starting rotation possibly as soon as this weekend? I, I do expect him to to yes, I expect him to be in the starting rotation. I don't know about as soon as this weekend necessarily, but I do expect him to be get that call up on September first. I think it's gonna be PCA. I think it's gonna be Jordan Wicks, as you mentioned. He's the first round pick from two years ago uh, out of Kansas State. He had great reviews of his changeup when he was drafted, uh, and he's kind of settled down these last few weeks in in Iowa. Like he had, got off to a little bit of a rocky start when he got in Iowa, but the last kind of month he's really kind of progressed. And I think we saw him get scratched today, and I think that was kind of a sign that they don't want him kind of wasting bullets in triple a right now. They want him ready to go if they need him sooner or add September 1st, they're going to bring him up. And I think he's going to kind of come in when they have the opportunity. I do think they're just trying to get to September 1st. I mean, they're playing the pirates, just get to September 1st. We don't have to make any moves. We don't have to make anything until then. And then we can kind of add to this team. Um, I, I just, I just, that's kind of how I, I view it. And, and I think, yeah, I do think he might be a guy that can kind of fit into a rotation depending on what you do with Assad and Smiley. Cause I don't, as Randall said, Assad's peripherals aren't great. Yeah, he's kind of getting by right now, but I could see that blowing up on him. And we don't know what they're doing with Smiley. So, like, maybe you want to fill that lefty role with a lefty. Um, I think Jordan Wicks could be that guy in September. Yeah, I, I, you know, the call up today, or not the call up, but the scratch today, we are told is not injury related. Uh, and you know, when that's the case, they always, it's always known pretty quickly and you go, ah, oh, well, that's less, that's interesting. Yeah. I have to think he's coming up sooner versus later. Just a question of when, uh, Ronan, you mentioned Justin Steele's 
innings. Uh, obviously, last year was a career high for him in 2022 through 119 innings. He's already at 132 this year, so he's mm-hmm. already moved well past a career high. And you know, you're gonna you're not gonna shut him down just because he gets to like 150 or whatever. But you're gonna monitor those innings because you don't want it to be a huge jump from season to season. So you are going to need someone else to make starts. Jordan Wicks, I think is I think it might have been Ben Brown, but of course he's. Uh, rehabbing a lat injury. Now he was rehabbing in the Arizona complex league, which again, we have to come up with a better acronym than ACL. I don't like it, but he was rehabbing down there. The ACL season is over. So if he's going to continue rehabbing, he's going to have to do it elsewhere, or they'll just reactivate him at Iowa and work him back in. So I think that spot would have gone to Ben Brown, who of course occupies an all important 40 man spot already. The injury set him back probably a while. And I think Jordan Wicks is that next guy up. I think he's your maybe most major league ready pitching prospect, depending on what you think of Ben Brown. He came out, he came out in the draft as a polished college pitcher. He hasn't gotten any less polished in the minor leagues. I think he's your most major league ready guy. And I think it's pretty clear. He's going to be getting the call sometime in the next week. Right. I I think that Wicks, um, I I just feel like he's a guy that probably can compete on a big league mound today. Uh, I don't, I I don't, I agree with you, Ron. I don't think he's going to be like, you know, top of the, an ace coming out here and just dominate or whatever. I think you probably have that expectation. He can kind of fit in into a middle of the rotation kind of role, you know, as a ceiling, which is, you need guys like that. You need, you know, you need pitchers like that. They're valuable to your team because you want to build out like your starting rotation. You can't have holes in the rotation. And so I do think that he's going to be a guy. I think he's going to come up and he's, I think he's going to compete. And I think he's going to get that chance uh, in, in September. We've talked about kind of the holes that they have right now with Stroman out with who knows with smiley Justin Steele you just mentioned Randall mentioned you know that is a big jump year to year you know if had the Cubs not been a playoff run at some point he probably is getting shut down around this time you know in early September and you know obviously you're not going to do that in a playoff run you're going to push for it but that that's a big jump and so I I do think yeah I think Jordan Wicks is going to come up I don't know if he and to say it's not injury related obviously because he threw a bullpen today like he was out there in the mound so he was still throwing um, but I, I just think they want to save him for something in the future over the next 10 days. I don't know when it's going to be, but over the next 10 days, at some point, I think he will be at Wrigley field wearing a Chicago Cubs pinstripe uniform. Absolutely. And I wonder if what might be effective is maybe like a, a Wix Wesneski piggyback combo. So the two very different looks, uh, from different sides of the plate. I'm wondering if that might be effective in, giving two very varied looks over the course of what you would hope would be five or six or seven innings. So I'm wondering if we might get that at some point, if they don't just give Wicks that rotation spot outright. But yeah, I think all signs are pointing to Wicks being up. And yeah, Jeremy, you mentioned uh, shut it, not shutting Steele down because they are in a playoff hunt. Now is definitely not the time to Steven Strasburg, Justin Steele. Now no, is not the yeah, time no. for that. No, but what I worry about there is obviously the, the innings mounting, like you guys said, but decline in production as those innings continue to mount. And theoretically, that's going to be when you need him the most, the very end of September. Last three games of the year are at Milwaukee. There's a decent possibility you could be looking at a fighting for a division championship that weekend. And by the way, you two better be up at the ballpark that weekend if that's the case. Uh, but then the playoffs, right? And you want you don't want him to be out of gas when you get to that point. So you want reinforcements. And, and this has me really missing Keegan Thompson these days. Like, man... You thought we thought so highly of him coming into this year, probably more so as a reliever than a starter, but that's just an arm that unfortunately hasn't been able to help the big league team. 
is an arm that you were counting on to help the big league team in multiple roles. And it just, there's just been nothing from him. Uh, and Ronan, given my history at the, the former Miller Park, the current AmFam Field, the future empty airplane hangar, God willing, uh, you don't want me up there that weekend. You do not want me on that wall specifically. You want the Cubs to win those games. There's a good chance. There's a good chance that the Cubs and the Brewers are playing more than three games that week. They're playing six straight games. Because oh uh, yeah. there's a good chance that the Brewers and Cubs might be a first round matchup. I think I might self-immolate. Six I, straight I was, games against the Brewers. I was talking with a friend here who was asking, you know, like what's ideal here in the playoffs? Who do you want? Who do you not want? And it's like, okay, let's get there first, right? right I just yeah. want to get in. Playoffs. But I, yeah, but I look at teams and I say, I I don't really want to see the Cubs at Philadelphia for a two game set. If the Phillies are the top wild card team and the Cubs are in a spot to go there, just, I'm not saying the Phillies are the best team in the national league. It's just, I look at that lineup and I go, any one of these guys can hit a three run home run. And now you're in a hole. But I like the fact that I'm here. I am at the end of August, just thinking about this a little bit, that these questions are being thrown our way. That means that this, this stuff matters right now. And uh, it's much better than the alternative. Right. Get there first. But even I, even I with Randall, I, I would be like, Six straight games against the Brewers. I, I don't know, man, if I want to go through that. <laughs> I can't do four against the Brewers. Two more than yeah. four. You get to six, and I definitely can't do that. Sorry, I have my limits. Well, hopefully it would be five, right? Hopefully the Cubs would just take right. care of this. There'd, the be, there'd be nothing left of me. There'd be nothing left of me. Just a little pile of ashes with a W flag sticking out of it, maybe a little Cubs hat on it. That'd be it. Put me in an urn. Float me yeah. out to sea. Float me out to the lake. You can have Ron Santo and Pat Hughes do the, I see some ladybugs out there on the lake. You got great eyes, Patrick. You're not too bad looking yourself, Ron. So yeah, there'd be nothing left of me. Just get Well, it. Randall, uh, you got Cubs Brewers next week at Wrigley Field, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, after this road trip. A four-game set in Pittsburgh. My final thoughts on that being, uh, I do hope Wicks gets the call up. I think Sunday is a perfect spot for him for his big league debut. Uh, low stakes, kind of. I mean, every game matters right now for the Cubs, but a Sunday afternoon in Pittsburgh against the team that's staring at potentially 90 losses this year, that could be a good landing spot because after that, you get the three-game set with the Brewers. You get a four-game set in Cincinnati, a scheduled double, well, now a scheduled doubleheader uh, on that Friday, September 1st, and that's part of a long stretch, 14 straight games that ends with three here in Denver. So the Cubs are about to embark on a stretch here of a lot of baseball games, bunch of division games too. Um, so let's see. I want to see it happen. Jordan Wicks, Sunday afternoon, PNC Park. He gets the win in his big league debut. But a long stretch of consecutive games is going to end in Denver. I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping the team doesn't burst into flame right then and there. We saw the Mets series previously that came at the end of a long stretch, and we saw that was a sloppy series. That I think the long stretch was catching up to them. Anything that catches up to you at City Field is going to catch up to you a mile higher in Denver. So hopefully they're not counting on that series to salvage a stretch because weird shit always happens yep. when the Cubs play the Rockies. Doesn't matter which ballpark, it's weirder at Wrigley than at Coors, but weird shit always happens. And you don't want the Coors weird shit to define what could be a rough stretch or a good stretch. You're right. You're right. And it's an awful Rockies team, right? They're staring down their first 100 loss season and franchise history. Very, very likely that that's going to be the case there. Uh, let me tell you some utter nonsense too, really quickly on the Rockies front. I was out at the ballpark Saturday night, uh, the Chicago White Sox and the Colorado Rockies, right? Two of the worst teams in baseball. It was a nice opportunity. I was expecting to work that day, ended up not having to work. So I'm like, Hey, let's go out to the ballpark. Let's enjoy this. They scheduled a drone show. 
I've never <laughs> been to a drone show. Right? It's kind of a big thing. You see it at ball games now. You see it at concerts. Some cities are replacing fireworks with it. Weather was kind of iffy, right? It was sort of raining. There was lightning off in the distance. They did not announce until the top of the ninth inning that that drone show was canceled. And let me tell you, Jeremy, I know you like the Simpsons bit where they're throwing the pretzels on the field at the ball game. The booze at Coors Field when they canceled that drone show on the top of the ninth inning, massive. They had 122,000 people at Coors Field for a three-game set between the Chicago White Sox and the Colorado Rockies, and all 45,000 of us that were there for the damn drone show, not happy. Dick Montfort says there's a chance they'll make it up before the end of the year, uh, but I'm not buying it, and I think the man owes me a drone show. <laughs> yeah, I was actually surprised. I, I flipped on the game at the end of the game, and uh... Uh, Jason Panetti mentioned it on the uh, White Sox broadcast. They were talking about this, that there were loud boos. Yeah, I was one for of the them. drone show. And I was I was like, because I was a little skeptical, Ronan. I, I got to say, I'm like, really? Uh, through a rain delay and, and uh, uh, you know, a White Sox Rockies game. There are all these fans out there that are booing loudly that are, I was like, eh. and then Panetti and, uh, and Stone, I, I think Stone was still calling that game. I'm not sure. Uh, was talking about uh, the drone show because something happened to Stone in Denver, unfortunately. Get, get well better, Steve. Um, but uh, get better, yeah, get better. Um, but uh, I they were mentioning it, they said there were yeah. loud boos, very loud boos, and I'm like, okay, I believe this. If Jason Benet's gonna mention it on the air, there must have been some very a real anger that the drone show was canceled. People were pissed. Is Naronan with the White Sox in town and the White Sox and Rockies having nearly identical home uniforms? Is that a situation where you're just seeing black pinstripes walking around Denver and you're kind of wondering who's who? That's actually a really good point, and I know that we've talked about that on the past on this podcast, and uh, Jeremy observed it too, and he was in Denver one of the times he's been out here. We're just walking behind Rockies fans, and he's looking at the jersey going, man, that looks almost identical from the back to a White Sox jersey with the pinstripes and all that. I did see it a few times because the thing that I was enjoying, one, it cracked me up how many people chose to wear Cubs gear to the White Sox (laughs) Rockies game. I didn't. I was was thinking about wearing the Chinichi Fukudome Opted not to do that. Uh, just it wasn't the right night for it. And I did think, you know, Fukudomi was a White Sox for like 25 games or something like that. So I, whatever. But yeah, I opted not to do it. I was just laughing at how many Cubs jerseys were at that game. Um, but I would see a jersey and I'd go, okay, I don't know if that's Rockies or White Sox. I'd keep looking up and it's like, oh, it's AJ. Oh, it's Paulie. Oh, it's a Todd Helton. And it was Todd Helton night uh, at Coors Field as well. But it is a, a very good observation. If you look at both of those jerseys from the back, very, very similar. It's just, you know, I know Paulie didn't play for the Rockies. Right. It, the fonts are basically all the same on the back. Yeah. So like, it's, you can't tell the difference from the back. You know, somebody could really screw with you, get a custom jersey made that's a Rockies word mark on the front, and then like Canerco 14 on the back, just to really screw with people. Or uh, one, one of those half wanna, and halves, Randall. One of those half and halves. That's <laughs> right. Don't the, tell half, on the, back. the half and half would be the. The same thing. One thing I want to note, just going back to September real quick, is this is a season where I really miss the old roster expansion because I look at this Iowa Cubs roster and there's like eight to ten guys who could easily help this team as depth pieces or maybe even featured pieces, and they will not get the chance because you're only getting the two extra roster spots. It's a small thing. The rules the rules changed a number of years ago. It's not a recent thing, but it just stands out to me this year, maybe because it's the first year in a while where the Cubs have been in contention, but I look at this Iowa roster, I'm like, damn, he could be useful. He could be useful. He could be useful, and it's unfortunate just to me that they'll only get to add two players, but it's a small thing. It's not a recent thing, but it is standing out to me. Randall, I'm curious, is one of those guys to you, David Bodie? 
you know, he wasn't necessarily on that list initially. Like I listed in my head eight to 10 guys, but then I brought up the Iowa roster as we were preparing for the show tonight. And his name, I saw his name like, you know what? Yeah, he could be useful too. He'd play all over the infield. It's nothing else. Maybe pinch run with him. So yeah, he's on that list too. And it's a list that keeps growing. Like if I name eight to 10 guys and then I look at the Iowa roster and it's just like uh, all you can eat sushi where you keep grabbing things that goes to, you know, 12, 13 guys. There's a lot of guys on that Iowa roster who would have been great depth pieces under the former September rules. So again, it, it doesn't matter. It's not the rules certainly aren't changing back, but it's just a lot of guys that I would love to be able to add to the roster because I think they could all be useful in their own ways in a September that, you know, I think is going to be scratch and claw and down to the wire and every little advantage you might be able to farm out might be the difference. Yeah. I, I just want to go back to what Ronan was saying about Bodie is like, just think about that. Uh, like we barely have ever, talked about him on this podcast this year it's like he seems to be the forgotten man in the chicago cubs systems like nobody talks about david Bodie. he's just kind of there in iowa doing his thing not really i mean he hasn't like dominant been dominant or, or like crazy good but he hasn't really been bad he's just kind of just doing his thing in iowa getting paid his money right he's getting his five million right um uh, but he's just been there and it's like he never really has been on kind of the radar of like possibly getting a call up to the Cubs or whatever. I, it's just kind of crazy to me that he's been there this whole season and nobody has really talked about him in any sense. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not here to die on the David Bodie Hill, right? I'm not, no. that's not the big thing. David Bodie, David Bodie might die on the David Bodie Hill. So well, the guy injuries. got paid. So but, yeah, he did. His yeah, he got paid. I, I don't have problems with David Bodie. I don't have even problems with the contract the Cubs gave him. I think the idea was there. It didn't generate, generally it didn't right. work out, but we'll see. But to his credit this year, the strikeouts are down. The walks are up. He could play a couple of different positions. He's got a little bit of slug. You'd like to see a little bit more power. I think he's got 11 home runs. Uh, but you'd like to see a little bit more there. But I was looking at Iowa's roster going, well, I wonder if he might help more than Patrick Wisdom on the big league Cubs right now. So uh, we'll see. But Randall, you said you got eight guys before David Bodie. Who's a guy that you say that, okay, this is a name that jumps out that probably won't make the team, but could help the team? Absolutely. Alexander Canario, I think, is top on that list. Again, already occupying a 40-man spot. He's got power. He's a very capable outfield defender at all three spots. I know we're, we'll probably see him debut at some point next season, I would think. I think he's a guy who would be up under the old rules, especially because, again, he already occupies a 40-man spot. You don't have to move anybody around. So Alexander Canario is on that list. Jonathan Perlaza is on that list. He doesn't really have a defensive home, maybe corner outfield, but he can hit. Jeremy, if I'm not mistaken, 50 extra base hits for Iowa. This season, I haven't looked plus. at his stats recently, so I don't know the exact number, but he's definitely hit a lot. Yeah, John, Jonathan Perlaza's uh, season numbers, he has 19 home runs, and he has... There you go, get the doubles in front of me. 19 home runs and 34 doubles for Jonathan Perlaza. Again, yeah, so yeah, 50 plus, go me. Uh, that's a guy who you could easily slot in at DH, and I think he could do some very useful things for you. Luke Little, I know the walks are a little bit of a problem, but he's still a, a lefty reliever with a little bit of gas to him. That's a guy who I think would be up. Uh, you got Bailey Horn, again, as I think another guy who would be up as a lefty out of the bullpen. You've got veteran Shane Green down there who they've stretched out. He pitched, what, five scoreless innings yeah. recently? That's an interesting it's an interesting development. But yeah, you look up and down this Iowa roster, that's four guys who jumped right out at me, who I think could be Mervis. I didn't even get to Mervis, who was such a big thing earlier in the season, and he's an afterthought now too. Jake Slaughter, Chase Strumpf, Luis Vasquez 
is again, I think another very interesting guy. We know he's got a major league caliber middle infield glove, second, short, and third, and the bat has come around this year. That's another guy who I think would be up in seasons past. So like I said, there are a lot of names on this Iowa roster who I think would just be great depth pieces. And it's just a little disappointing that they won't get that chance. I think they'll all get a chance at some point, whether it's with the Cubs next season or with another organization, as you clear out a little bit of a a log jam, but again, a lot of really useful names on that Iowa roster. Yeah. Yeah. Randall, when you were first talking about this, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily see a whole bunch of guys, but when you, your first name you mentioned was Alexander Canario. And I, I kind of agree with you. Like Alexander Canario, I mean, just from the fact that he came back from what was such a crazy off season injury. And now he's kind of, he's putting it together a little bit. Like he kind of struggled a little bit in his kind of work back to getting up. And even as first few games in Iowa, but that guy's been hitting tanks lately just crushing the ball so he is a guy i could see had they had an opportunity given more time like maybe he would be up here um but the other guy you mentioned in matt mervis it's like to me i i'm just curious what matt mervis's future is because right now mm-hmm. i don't know what matt mervis's future is i don't you i don't think you can really go into next year thinking matt mervis is going to be your first baseman because we haven't seen it we haven't done it i think you still need to kind of go out there and try to solve a first base issue so i don't know i could possibly see matt mervis you know being a trade piece over in the offseason because I, I maybe somebody else wants to take a chance on him uh which is kind of crazy what the way this year worked out so it's just weird that we had this kind of moment and now uh, it's still kind of like, well, what is Matt Mervis? We don't know. And I don't, we're not going to really find out at the end of this year. Yeah. We, we had the mash Mervis moment and the mash Mervis moment passed. And like you said, Jeremy, you don't really know what this offseason is going to hold for him. Uh, you know, I, the Cody Bellinger, I think will, I think what happens with him will go a long distance in determining Matt Mervis's future with this organization, because if you do manage to re-sign him, which again, I don't think you're going to do before free agency, he's not signing an extension, but let's say you do convince him to come back in free agency. Ostensibly Pete Crow Armstrong is at least going to get first crack at center field. If PCA is in center field, Bellinger becomes your first baseman, but maybe PCA struggles and maybe Bellinger moves back to center field. There's a lot of moving parts there, and Mervis is kind of left in limbo. There's a role for him, but that role may only open up if certain other parts move in different directions. So it it might be an offseason of a little bit of trepidation for him because he doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of clarity on his role for next season. And and I don't know, and I we saw this past week, uh, uh, a report come out about the Milwaukee Brewers making waves, trying to get Pete Alonso mentioned it. Randall shaking his head. Randall's mentioned, mentioned that our call was that the Cubs talked to the Brewers, or excuse me, the Mets about Pete Alonso. I think Pete Alonso could be on the move this offseason. I, and who knows where that's going to end up. This could be a whole conversation for this offseason. I think he could be on the move. And if I, he's on the move and I were the Cubs, I would be interested. Especially to get him for not hitting, because that guy loves to hit homers at Wrigley. Put him at Wrigley, but make him wear the right pinstripes, the blurred blue pinstripes. Correct. Do not let him go to Milwaukee. I don't care what you have to do. Do not let the Brewers acquire him. Do not, because I think that would be disastrous. I think that would be as bad for the Cubs as Goldschmidt ending up in St. Louis. You cannot let that happen. And for God's sakes, if it does happen, I hope the Mets at least take the Brewers to the cleaners. Do not give him away like uh, like the Rockies (laughs) gave Arenado away and like the D-backs gave Goldschmidt away and like the Marlins gave Yelich away. At some point, this needs to stop. Randall's already getting fired up and we've got uh... playoffs. Playoffs. 
Four he's, games in Pittsburgh this weekend. Three yeah. with the Brewers next week. Four at Cincinnati next weekend. So, Randall, get the uh, blood pressure medicine going there so you can get through the next week here. Um, all these names, too, that we're mentioning, uh, what a bummer. i got to say that Brennan Davis is not even in a position to be contributing to the big league team. I mean, we thought this time last year, we thought this guy would be playing at Wrigley Field. So what a shame uh, how that has played out. And uh, next man up. And Brennan Davis, again, is occupying a 40-man spot. You know, I don't think you'd expose him to waivers, but if you needed in a pinch to clear a spot and you needed to outright somebody, I wonder if that might be a candidate. Again, I don't think they'd expose him to waivers because I do think somebody would maybe take that, an up-and-coming team who can afford to use a 40-man spot. But boy, that's a guy who's just kind of occupying dead weight on the 40-man right now. And I hate to say that because we know he's a Talented player when healthy, he seems like a, a great young man. I hate to call him dead weight, but as fact is, he's occupying a 40-man spot that could potentially go to somebody more used to the major league team. I, I will say, I did see today that Brand Davis is starting a rehab assignment in South Bend. So he is he coming is. back he today. Is, he is so, on the field. He is on the field and hopefully, playing. Hopefully, hopefully, something can come of it for this last, you know, however many weeks that the single or the minor league season, because he probably would get, once he's rehab assignment, get moved back up to AAA. Um, I, hopefully we can see something there. Hope so. Hope so. But uh, hmm, losing faith on that front, unfortunately. Uh, before we talk socks, and I, we got to talk about what's yeah. going on with the White Sox <laughs> to bring this home here. Uh, any other Cubs thoughts you guys want to bring to the table or anything we've missed tonight? You know, right now the season feels a lot like 2018 to me where Oof. they were, yeah, they were in a why, good why, spot going into. Why, why you got to do this? No, yes. listen, listen, there, there, there's a point and I do have one and it's better than it seems. 2018, they were leading the division and they ended up blowing a five game division lead in that final month because the Brewers just refused to lose crimes for which they will never be punished. Christian Yelich, meet me in the parking lot after the game. But that was, that was their division expectations and they ended up not meeting them in this case. In this case, where they're going to scratch and claw all through September, the expectations for the season were a lot lower than they were for 2018. So even if you do end up in a wild card spot, and even if it does end up with a first round exit, I think that is in its own way, still a massive improvement from what people expected from this team. And it's something you can build on going from winning the division in 2017, making it to the NLCS to being out in the singular wild card game because Terrence Gore took the most important at bat of the season, you know, extra innings at Wrigley. That's a downgrade. That's not something you build on. That's something you fall through. I think making the wild card, even if you're out in the first round this year is a stepping stone it's not a lily pad which you fall through. So my point and I do my do I do have one even if September doesn't go as great as we hope it will, I think there's still desirable outcomes at the end waiting at the end of September that again are still leagues higher than I think anyone's expectations for this team were when we started. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to somewhat echo uh Randall's sentiments right there. Uh for me it's just kind of like enjoy this uh Cubs fans because I think certainly at certain points this year heading into this season uh, there was some skepticism. There was some pessimism. Uh, there were, you know, we didn't know where this team would be. Is this kind of like a middle of the road team that might, you know, play up? Uh, there was that point in like late May where, as I mentioned earlier, we were in last place in the National League, uh, last place. And we were like eight games back uh, under 500. Enjoy this because you don't know when it's going to be. We're in a race now. We're here to win. We're, we're playing out the season. We're playing competitive games at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, we're going to get mad at certain situations. We're going to get mad at the manager. We're going to get mad with the way some dumb luck, some frustrating things happen. But enjoy it. Enjoy these competitive games. And, like, look at where this Cubs team is right now compared to, as we're going to talk about, what's going on, on the south side, who they had their window, supposedly. 
you got to enjoy your window when it's in, when you're in the middle of it because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the Cubs right now they are like a consensus top five farm system. Uh, mm-hmm. from all the reports that have come out, a bunch of reports have put them at number two. Uh, Kylie McDaniel, ESPN has number two. Fangrass has number two. Baseball America, I think it was the lowest I've seen. They're at six in Baseball America. Uh, so like. We got a, a farm system that's humming. We're playing competitive baseball. We're playing good baseball. Right now, this is an optimistic time to be a Cub fan. Enjoy it. And, like, yeah, it's going to be disappointing at certain moments. But don't let that cloud your judgment, uh, your enjoyment. Enjoy what's going on right now. No doubt. No doubt. That said, this team hmm. has to make the playoffs. Has they to have to get in. I, I, I don't care if they get in. And they're out in the wild card round immediately, right? Like they have to get into the playoffs because the, the, for a number of reasons. One, it's satisfying. It would be very, very cool for this team. It'd be great for some of the young guys to be exposed to it. Uh, I, it would be a, it, it's a, it's a win this year if this team makes the postseason. As far as I'm concerned, on the other side, what I cannot handle, and I think we got some decent Bears football to enjoy. I'm excited for IU hoops. There's stuff that will hold me over in the off season, but what I will not be able to take from the end of September until next April is people nitpicking and bitching about Jed Hoyer and David Ross, that if they did this differently, if they didn't have these lineups, this team would have made the playoffs. And I will say there are things I'm critical about with Jed, with the way this roster was constructed. I didn't like the Tucker signing. I didn't like the smiley signing. You can listen back to podcasts, hear me complaining about it. I didn't like either of the first basemen they went out and got. I wasn't happy with that. But overall, I'm a big Jed guy to what you just said, Jeremy. I think he's done a fantastic job moving on from the 2016 core, rebuilding the farm, and building a competitive big league team. And he has done that. So this team has to make the playoffs because if they miss the postseason by one or two games, how many times are we going to hear about the number of plate appearances that Eric Hosmer had or Rios or any of these guys that probably shouldn't have been on the team that were and this team doesn't make the postseason? they got to get in because that will kill me this offseason if it's that for five months. Well, you can watch a, a line football in October. That'll, that'll hold you over. Oh, no. <laughs> It'll hold them somewhere, but not over. Yeah. Interested for uh, one more year of the Big Ten, too, without these California yeah. West Coast teams right. coming in and playing Left in there. coast over there on the yeah. Washington, Oregon. But I did want to get your guys' thoughts on everything with the White Sox. There's two big stories, I think, right now with the White Sox. There's the moving on from – Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, maybe 15 years later than they should have, yeah. but they've finally decided to move on from that. The other story is this uh, threat, if you want to call it, from Jerry and the boys there that they want to move. They want a new ballpark. They're going to explore their options. Naperville, Nashville, all these places. Apparently all the envils. All yeah. the envils that the White Sox apparently want to go to. Uh, what should we start with? Should we talk well, the, the front office or this ballpark thing? Well, they, they say that Naperville is the Nashville of Chicagoland. So I think that'd be a, a great move. Jeremy's going to have more to say on this. And he's kind of the resident pseudo White Sox fan. I just have two words. Clown shoes. That's all. That's my round Santo. That's my advice. Jeremy, take it away. I, yeah, I'm going to start with the first story uh, you mentioned. The first of all, Rick Hahn. Let's start with that. Yeah, Rick Hahn and and. And Kenny Williams, excuse me, I almost forgot Kenny's name there, but he's been around. Out of White Sox business, yeah, he's been around Jeremy. forever. Kenny Williams moving on because that 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 is the earth shattering news to me. Uh, the the White Sox, you know, with the bluster about the, I expected that to come at some point, but this is earth shattering yeah. news because I can't. Jerry Ryan's, I did not expect this moving on from his his top two lieutenants. Uh, you know, just a guy, Kenny Williams, he writes in the 
the statement when they fired him that I view Kenny Williams as a son and he will always be a part of my family. So like the idea that he was going to move on from this guy is crazy to me. He stuck by Kenny through lots of things. He stuck by him in his feuds with Ozzy. He stuck by him, you know, for this whole ridiculous. Yeah. LaRoche, this whole ridiculous situation that's going on now. And, you know, now we're hearing all the stories come out about, uh, you know, some of the certain things Kenny did, some of the certain things Rick Hahn has done. Like, I, I it's it's kind of weird here. Like, David Kaplan's reporting one that Rick Hahn tried to resign multiple times over the past couple of years. And, and Jerry Reinsdorf would not let him out of his contract. <laughs> and, and that's crazy. We're hearing that. They also reported that apparently Kenny Williams had, he was allowed to trade players to two teams, the Yankees and the Marlins, which is why Jake Berger got traded to the Marlins because Kenny was allowed to make that trade. And Rick Hahn was pissed about it because he didn't want to trade Jake Berger. Like that's just dysfunctional. I don't understand any of that. Um, So just, just, just craziness. So I think as a White Sox fan, you're like, Oh my God, Jerry did it. He did it. Like we're gone. We're so happy. Then today, Jerry's pseudo mouthpiece, Bob Nightingale comes out and says, Oh, by the way, Jerry's been working with Tony LaRusa to consult over all these issues. They've been reviewing the minor league system. Pedro Gafal is going to have an interview with Tony LaRusa today. And right now the overwhelming favorite to get the job is basically the number three guy in, in the system. Chris Gretz, former White Sox player, former Royals player. And he wants to bring on Dayton Moore to partner with the former Royals GM. And it's going to be Chris Getz and Dayton Moore and Tony LaRussa. And they're all going to be hanging out. Pedro Gafal is going to stay for another year because it's all Royals guys, apparently. And like, what is going on there? We're turning ourselves into the Royals. I, I, I don't understand it. It's just complete craziness. It's, it's going to be as Randall said, a clown show, clown shoes, and like it's a soap opera. So get your popcorn ready and watch what's going on on the south side. Clown shoes. Now that's a fantastic mental image. Jeremy Rickon sees Tony Rulusa walk in the door, and he tries to leave, but the door's locked because Jerry locked it from the outside. That's a fantastic mental image. Thank you for that. Really, uh, yeah, not my circus, not my clowns, not my circus. It's hilarious to watch from afar. Something Bulls fans know all too well. Jerry can fire all the people he wants, but the rot starts a lot higher than that. And the owner can't fire himself. So I don't know that anything is going to get solved, but again, it's, it's only maybe 20, 30 miles from me, but it's a million miles from being my problem. So I can just sit here and laugh. I I've enjoyed the uh, airing of the dirty laundry that comes when people, especially people who've been long tenured with an organization, get out. Because when they get out, everybody starts talking, and it's just been one day after the other after the other. Of And it's, it's maybe in the grand scheme of things, these things don't really matter. But it's like it just highlights the dysfunction. When you've got Kenny Williams getting on the phone and, and cursing out the producer of a show in Chicago media, and it's like, how long have these guys been dying to tell this story? It finally comes out when people lose their jobs. So the Cubs fan watching from afar, it's been funny to see all of that sort of come to the surface. Yeah, and the funny thing about that is we heard kind of both sides of that story from one, the producer who was called out, Ryan McGuffey, who's a producer at NBC Sports that does the White Sox Talk podcast with Chuck Garfine. And then David Kaplan, also who was involved in that story, repeated it on his own show, uh, saying pretty much the same thing, which I don't think David Kaplan comes off the best in the in the story. Because you don't we'll, say. Well, here, I'll repeat what <laughs> David Kaplan said. Well, here's what McGuffey said. McGuffey said he – there was a moment McGuffey was critical of the 2022 Cubs or excuse me, White Sox, you know, last year, a lot of people were critical of them. And there was a moment where they like 
beat up on the Astros. I don't remember the exact situation, but they got to 62 and 58 and they were puffing their chest. And all of a sudden he gets a phone call from David Kaplan or maybe he didn't get a phone call, but David Kaplan was on the line and David Kaplan said, somebody wants to speak to you. And Kenny Williams is on the, on the other line and just chews him out. Like I'm still effing here, all this stuff, like whatever. And that's what McGuffey said. McGuffey's like, you're 62 and 58. We all know how that season ended, right? Um, and, he, and why is he, and McGuffey said, why are you chewing me out? Like, why do I matter enough to you? You're Kenny Williams. You're president of the White Sox. Why? You're 62 and 58. You care about what some guy says? So then you hear Kaplan's side of the story, which is similar, basically saying he was out at at the cell and Kenny Williams spotted him, comes over, starts yelling at him, like, who's this Ryan Mc- whatever? And Kenny's and and Kaplan's like, oh, he handles all White Sox content over at NBC Sportsnet. Like he's basically in charge of White Sox content. And he says just randomly at that time, Ryan called him and Kaplan's like, hey, look, I got your guy on the phone. <laughs> and, and, and Teddy took the phone and started chewing out. I'm like, Kaplan, why are you handing your phone to let your, your bro get chewed out by Kenny Williams? Like, I don't think you look good in that situation. I don't. I don't know why you're telling that story because I don't think you look good. Like if someone's chewing out Randall or Ronan, man, I, I, you might think it's funny to see them get chewed out, but I'm, I'm going to protect my boys. I'm not going to let mm. some Kenny Williams just yell at you guys. I want to protect you boys. So Kaplan protect your boys, man. Boy, to whatever extent that story is true. What an asshole move. Holy shit. Like the guy calls you randomly and you hand him off to the guy who's mad at him. That's, that's a pretty dick move. I don't I don't really expect anything less from Kaplan. To whatever extent all of these stories are true, but man, that's a dick move. Like that's that's throwing the guy next to you to the lion chasing you in hopes that the lion will stop chasing you. Like I don't need to be faster than the lion. I just need to be faster than you. That's a dick move. Goodness gracious. I, Kaplan told I, I the would, story and I'm like I would say I would be proud to have gotten under Kenny Williams skin, especially if I'm in a that type of a role in, in the media landscape. Like if I'm getting under your skin, that's a win for me, buddy, more than it is uh, uh, anything else for you, Kenny Williams. Uh, but he's out. He's out. Rick Hahn is out. Um, and yeah, I saw the report today about the Royals taking over on the South side and it's just typical Jerry, you know, at this point, typical Jerry. Yeah. And it's, well, the thing is, I feel like Jerry doesn't, despite the fact that Jerry's been, you know, in baseball for 40 years, he seems very insular and he doesn't really know anybody. And his sounding board is who's a sounding board, Tony LaRusso, guy who's technically, I believe, still under contract with the White Sox because I don't think the White Sox ever fired him. I think he was just kind of like nebulously reassigned and we're like, because he had health issues and and I know he's dealing with cancer and I, I don't want to see anybody sick. Uh, but you know, get better as well, Tony LaRusso. But I think he's still like working for the franchise. And so, because they kind of pushed back that, oh, he's a consultant, but they didn't really like, they kind of were like, well, he's not technically a consultant, but he might still be doing things kind of pushed back. And so, yeah, it's just crazy. And then Dayton Moore, a guy who basically, what, he he got, he built a decent farm. So I would say like if Dayton Moore wanted to be a voice in a room, I would listen to his voice because he has some scouting chops. He knows some things, but like, he's not got decision maker for me. No, no effing way. I mean, there's a guy and who praised Luke Heimlich pretty much. Then didn't praise him, but said Luke Heimlich deserved a chance. And, and Luke Heimlich had some issues, you know, uh, abuse issues uh, that that's why he's not pitching in major league baseball. But uh, I, I would not, put him in my organization that would not be a go for me but that's the rumor 
you mentioned like Tony La Russa still under contract, still hanging around. Yeah, like a vengeful spirit. You think you're rid of him, and he pops back up in the darkness and hisses at you. Definitely. Well, the other story there with Sox Park, don't want to get too much into this, but, uh, you know, they are sort of nearing the end of the lease agreement. We know the new ball, the, I call it the new ballpark, the uh, uh, ballpark there on the south side, guaranteed rate, not one of the uh, better ballparks in baseball. But the one thing that irritated me just seeing those headlines come out, and I can largely ignore it, is this notion of the White Sox moving to Nashville and the Chicago media and, and the press back home feeding that or fueling that. I know it's like clickbait, right? It's, it's obviously going to get a reaction out of people. There is no way in hell Major League Baseball is going to allow the Chicago White Sox to move to Nashville. And I say that saying I would bet the house. I don't own a house, but if I did, I'd bet the house there will be a Major League Baseball team in Nashville in the next decade. I definitely think it's going to be an expansion team and the owners are going to get the expansion money to put a team down there while still sustaining two teams in the Chicago area. So the fact that that gets traction just pisses me off. And then people fight about it and argue about it. There is no chance, zero chance. It's not even a a possibility that the Chicago White Sox are moving to Nashville yet. We're going to be hearing a ton about that for the next three, four years. No, there's nothing to it. And a more critical local media, if they didn't have, so-called professional standards to adhere to, I think would laugh at it appropriately, but because they have to, they have to pretend to cover everything fairly. They have to, you know, vet it out. They have to at least discuss it. It gets traction. It's dumb. There's nothing to it. I agree completely. It's funny, but this is the new thing now because you saw the brewers, you know, imply thinking about relocation. If they want to do that, I'll help them pack, like get out. Uh, But you saw them imply that a week, two weeks ago, whatever it was. This is the new thing now, now that the TV money has dried up is TV are going to start publicly threatening via the media, hey, give us money to improve the ballpark or we're going to think about relocation. So that's the new thing, and you're going to start to see more teams start to threaten that. Randall, there's five teams right now in Major League Baseball that are threatening that. You've got Oakland. That's the big one, right, going to Vegas. Milwaukee's been playing that game. Two. The White Sox, the Royals, and the Baltimore Orioles. Five. Five teams. Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. And the Diamondbacks. Okay, sure. It's insane. And I just – yeah, the White Sox should be considering – their options for a ballpark. Jerry, when he's thinking about potentially selling the team, increasing the value, they've got to explore their options, but let's be realistic. If the Chicago White Sox are going to get a new ballpark, it's either going to be on 35th, maybe they'll find another parcel of land in the city that could make sense. Soldier Field isn't going to work. I've seen that thrown out in the last day. Idiotic to even think that it would make sense for the White Sox to be playing on the lakefront. You could argue about the feasibility of the suburbs, fine, but that's, that's the circle, right? It's going to be in the Chicagoland area. The thing that I want to nip in the bud and see not being any traction moving forward is this notion of them leaving Illinois, going down to Nashville. And again, there will be a big league team in Nashville, but it's going to be an expansion team paying expansion fees to join Major League Baseball. And expansion fees right now to join Major League Baseball, billion dollars. Why would the owners give that up to move the White Sox to Nashville? So that's <laughs> the thing that was bothering me with that story. Yeah, and then, of course, another team that you could also probably, because seemingly every single year would be the Tampa Bay Rays. It's like, what are they, you know, you have the Montreal thing. And speaking of the Tampa Bay Rays, and Randall says this is a new thing, but nah, Jerry Reisdorf invented this, man, in the late 80s. He, he threatened to go move to St. Petersburg. That's the reason the Tampa Bay Rays exist, because they built that stadium for Jerry Reisdorf. He reneged on it, and because Jim, Big Jim Thompson saved the White Sox, and, and they got the... It, they got uh, that deal done to build new Comiskey and 
basically the major league baseball had to give the had to give Tampa the raise in order to not be sued because that's how it came about. But I, I, I mostly agree with you, Ronan. I, I don't, I'm very skeptical of the idea that they are going to move out of the state to Nashville. I just don't, I just can't talk about it with hundred percent certainty until like, because if nothing gets done, somebody at some point is going to build, is going to build you something as we see in Las Vegas, if they get government money from somewhere else, they're going to go there. And I don't think it will be out of state, but who knows five, like this can play out for a long time and we don't know what's going to happen five to six years from now. I think they will end up getting something done. I don't necessarily think it will be though at 35th. I think they could go to the suburbs. I think they could go somewhere where they're going to want to control all the land around it. I don't know if that's feasible in their current location. They're going to want to develop all the land around it. And I think I could see them like Naperville's made play for the Bears already. Uh, suburb of urban history has made some plays. I think somebody's going to be willing. It might not be out of state. It might be someone in state in Chicagoland, but some municipalities could be willing to give the White Sox what they want. And I think they might move there. I would put a lot more stock in that happening versus them moving out of state. I agree. It's 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 not happening. And again, I think a more critical local media would call that out as such. But again, they need to try and be objective. And I get that. And that's that that leaves it to us to call it a load of horse shit, which it is. They're not going to Nashville. No, no. Naperville, no. maybe. I, Nash, I think the Naper, best Nashville. Bet moving forward, talking 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now is. 35th new ballpark on 35th but they got a ton of parking lots there's uh, land around uh the ballpark down there too that uh jerry and the boys or the next ownership group could be buying up uh lots they could do there but we'll see and i think that's enough chicago white Sox talk one final thought on terms of uh, ballpark renderings uh hop online take a look uh, the royals put out renderings for two potential designs i think they're both trash why um neither particularly unique also not enough fountains, which is like the thing there, of course, in Kansas City, and they're getting rid of the iconic video board in center field. Neither of the renderings have that to crown video board in center field, which seems like a big miss. So worth checking out. I'm a guy who's interested in what ballparks look like and what these teams do. I saw those Royals renderings, and I went, come on. And I say that saying, Kaufman, awesome ballpark. Get there before they tear that place down. Pleasantly surprised by how cool that place was, and the new ballparks really uh, – don't appeal to me like the old one there in Kansas City does. The Royals only have so much going for them. We'd be ashamed to get rid of the, the few things that do make them going to worse going worse seeing. You need fountains all over the outfield if you're building the Royals. Fountains the in the outfield. Make the players, you know, run through a water feature in order to catch a fly ball. All right, Randall, rest up here. Big week, uh, four in Pittsburgh, Brewers at Wrigley, four at Cincinnati. Uh, maybe the biggest week of the year for the Cubs with everything that's on the line here. So hopefully they continue to play good baseball. Uh, the three of us are going to be together this weekend, not in Chicago, not in Denver. We're going out to the East Coast for buddy Mike getting married 17 years. Him and his uh, fiance dating there. They're finally making it happen Sunday. Randall's going to be in a suit. Jeremy's going to be in a suit. I'm going to be in a suit. We're looking forward to uh, seeing you guys and uh, causing some trouble this weekend. Maybe, maybe Jeremy, we can sneak a few things onto the old uh, X Twitter account here if Randall permits it. But I'm looking forward to some good times with you guys. At BTYL. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll record a live BTYL. Five minutes, all three of us just talking into a, a cell phone. And we'll post that for you all. We're not actually going to do that. Should be fun from uh, the coast there, East Coast. Be a good time. All right, we'll be back uh, after that. Go Cubs, and we'll see you next time.